Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. As I am recording this, we are now a few days out from Halloween, and uh, I think overall, went okay. I tried to go to the store today to get some discount Halloween candy, and they didn't have any, which felt like a betrayal. A betrayal of the social contract. So clearly there are no laws anymore. And as I was throwing a flaming tire through that plate glass window, I started wondering whether Halloween still works. I mean, I think the initial idea was... You know, it's the day when the veil between the world of the living and that of the dead is the thinnest, and so you need to dress up in scary costumes to frighten all the ghosts away, or something like that. But I feel like the vast majority of costumes lately are just topical pop culture references, and not demons or monsters or shit like that. But in a way, I bet this new strategy of costumes is even more effective. Because if I was a ghost, and I had died what seems like pretty recently to me, and I came back, and I saw all of these pop culture references and was like, I don't know who the fuck any of these people are, that's gonna freak me out a hell of a lot more than a glowing pumpkin, I'll tell you that much. If we really want to scare these ghosts, then I think a good idea for a new set of costumes would just be sandwich boards that have printed out on them those things people post on the internet where they tell you how long ago an album came out. Because I saw the other day that Del the Funky Homo Sapiens album, I Wish My Brother George Was Here, came out 30 years ago, and it made me want to crawl back into my grave. And also listen to Mr. Dabalina, because that's a good song. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. Anyway, happy Halloween, and uh, thanks for all of the really nice feedback I got from the Haunted Disco Barn episode. I know they're not for everybody, and it's a bit of a departure from our usual, at least vaguely comic book-themed format, but uh, I enjoyed doing those, and so I'm glad to hear that at least some of you enjoyed listening to them as well. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's... Uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Eric Engelhard. When Steve's out of Jamaican incense, he reaches for the flavored schnapses. When boredom and ennui doth commence, you should listen to Hub's synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Eric. Defenders, number 107. May, 1982. On Death and Dying. Written by J.M. DeMatteis. Drotted by Don Perlin, inked by Mike Esposito, and Chick Stone, and Sal Trapani, and Al Milgram, lettered by Shelley Lefferman, colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, Hellcat, Gargoyle, Son of Satan, Beast, Daredevil, Captain America, The Incredible Hulk, Namor the Submariner, Silver Surfer, Luke Cage, Hawkeye, Spider-Man, and the Mighty Thor. Previously in Captain America. 
Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, was out on a date with his rad girlfriend, Bernie Rosenthal. Bernie told Steve that she loved him, and Steve freaked out and said that he loved seafood, so that was pretty much it for the date. Then Steve got a telepathic message from some psychic pals that had been kidnapped, so he changed into his Captain America duds and flew off to Colorado to deal with that. Cap found a secret base in the Rockies being run by a guy named August Masters, who made his henchmen dress like Roman centurions for reasons that remain aggressively unclear. Masters, a self-styled patriot, had kidnapped all of the psychics he could get his hands on and planned to use them to launch a massive telepathic assault on the USSR, turning off the brain of every Soviet citizen. Captain America thought that that seemed mean, so he beat up Masters and started to free the psychics. Hooray! But then Masters threatened to blow up the secret base and kill everyone inside, including the psychics and several superheroes he had kidnapped. Reluctantly, Captain America surrendered and allowed himself to be taken prisoner. Previously in the Defenders. Remember those superheroes I said Masters had kidnapped? Well, they were Valkyrie, Hellcat, Gargoyle, and Nighthawk. Nighthawk had previously run afoul of Masters when the nationalistic ne'er-do-well had been experimenting on Kyle's estranged ex-girlfriend Mindy at a shady sanitarium. It turned out that Mindy was the world's most powerful telepath. Masters kidnapped Mindy for his Kill All the Russians project, but she was too rebellious whenever Kyle wasn't around. So Masters kidnapped Kyle to help him manipulate Mindy. Then he kidnapped Val, Patsy, and Gargoyle as hostages so that he could manipulate Kyle. Back at the Sanctum Sanctimonious, Steve Strange finally noticed that his buddies were missing, so he rounded up Beast, who had been hanging out ever since Strange had helped him save his girlfriend Vera from a magic evil crystal lady, Son of Satan, who had just returned from an unsuccessful internship with his dad in hell, and Daredevil, whose alter ego Matt Murdock was one of Kyle's lawyers, and flew them all to Colorado on a rescue mission. The mission went sideways almost immediately, but Steve did eventually manage to find Kyle. The billionaire to well bird enthusiast was acting strangely and informed the supercilious sorcerer that all of the psychics on the base had gotten together in his skull and made a plan to blow up both the base and themselves. Kyle seemed to feel that it would be for the best if he stuck around for the explosion as well. Steve thought that seemed like a bad plan and tried to teleport himself, the psychics, Kyle, and the rest of the heroes out of the base before it went kablooey, but the psychics thwarted this attempt. Steve managed to get himself, Captain America, Beast, Hellcott, Valkyrie, Son of Satan, Gargoyle, and Daredevil to safety, but in an act of entirely unnecessary self-sacrifice, Nighthawk and the Psychics remained in the base with August Masters and his henchmen as it exploded. Gadzooks! Is Nighthawk really dead? After going 106 issues without a casualty, how long will it be before another Defender is killed? And after a number of attempts to seduce Thor over the years, what new long-haired hero will the Enchantress direct her amorous attention towards? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so maybe not permanently, but for the next 16 years or so? Yup. About four pages. And? Jesus. At least it sure seems that way. Huh. The heroes who Steve was able to teleport out of the base cluster around him and are like, What happened? Steve is like, Well, it's kind of one of those good news, bad news situations. First off, good news, I was able to teleport all of you to safety. So, you're welcome. 
But the bad news is Kyle and the psychics all died in the explosion. Most of the gang is pretty bummed out, but in a sort of, well, you win some, you lose some kind of way. Patsy is taking the news pretty hard, though. Captain America starts to deliver a speech about all the soldiers that he's seen die, but Patsy is not in the mood and tells him to cram it. Son of Satan is like, Now, Patsy, I know our friend is dead, but there's no call for being rude. I mean, it was only Kyle. Patsy is like, Okay, but wait, Damon? I thought you were in hell with your dad. Damon is like, Nah, they wanted me to murder a baby and then get crucified on a cross made of demon flesh, and I didn't want to. It was a whole thing. So I decided to be a good guy again. Isaac is like, Well, I guess that clears everything up. Now let's go home and start planning Kyle's funeral. Patsy is like, Yeah, I guess. The gang turns eastward and prepares to start their trip home. Just as they are about to leave, though, one of August Master's Roman centurion-looking henchpeople pops his head out of the rubble. He was doing some repairs on the outside of the base when it blew up, so he managed to survive the explosion. As soon as our heroes turn their back on the pile of detritus which had hidden him from view, he carefully aims a handheld missile launcher at Valkyrie's back and fires. The projectile hits its target and explodes on impact, instantly killing the sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger. Well, shit. Beast beats the shit out of the anachronistically attired assassin, but his dark deed is done. Valkyrie is dead. As the rest of the heroes stare in shocked silence at Val's lifeless body, Patsy lets out a plaintive wail for her lost best friend. A short while later, the gang gathers at the brownstone that Kyle had purchased for Patsy, Val, and Isaac shortly before he was kidnapped. Everyone takes turns trying to cheer Patsy up, but to no avail. Isaac is like, Well, God's plan is ineffable, and I guess it was just their time. Patsy is like, Nope! Not trying to hear this shit from an octogenarian who ended up in an immortal body after he was trying to sell my soul to demons. Isaac is like, Fair enough. Beast is like, yeah, I get it. Life really sucks sometimes, but you gotta keep going. I, I mean, at least we've got each other. Son of Satan is like, Beast is right. Besides, I just thought of something. We know for sure that there's an afterlife. I mean, you may not realize this, but my father is the devil. And if there is a prince of evil, which there is, he's my dad, then there must also be a... Lord of Love. And if there's a Lord of Love, then we can be sure that Val, and to a lesser extent Kyle, are with him. So really, we should be happy that Kyle and Val are dead, because I just proved definitively that they are hanging out with the Lord of Love, whose existence I was able to extrapolate based on the fact that my dad is, you know, Satan. So cheer up! Steve chimes in and is like, Damon makes a great point, which definitely makes total logical sense. Also, just to recenter this conversation on me and one of my experiences, this reminds me of a story. Back when I was in training with the Ancient One, one of the monks died and the Ancient One totally didn't seem to give a shit. 
At first I thought he was being a jerk, but then he was like, No, you're a jerk. I'm not sad because of reincarnation and shit. Now get back to work. So you see, it's wrong to be sad when our friends are dead. Now let's go have a funeral for them. Bizarrely, Patsy is still sad that her friends are dead. She opts to sit the funeral out. Steve leads the rest of the gang out to a secluded hilltop in upstate New York. He lights a brazier with a celestial flame, which he says will burn eternally for his fallen comrades, which is a nice gesture. Then the other guests start to arrive so that they can pay their respects to Valkyrie and Nighthawk. In rapid succession, Thor, Spider-Man, Hawkeye, Luke Cage, Namor, and the Silver Surfer show up to join the other mourners. A few minutes later, the Hulk leaps onto the hilltop. Hawkeye's a real dick about the Hulk being there because, let's face it, Hawkeye is a real dick. But once the irascible archer sees Hulk's tear-streaked face, even he relents and is willing to act like a goddamn human being for a change. Which is good, because one, the Hulk could absolutely smash the living shit out of a guy whose only superpower is being good at pointy sticks. And B, who the fuck is Hawkeye to be gatekeeping this funeral? I mean, he met Kyle, what, like twice? And his main connection with Val was that he kept trying to plant non-consensual kisses on her for the few issues where he hung out with the Defenders back in the early 70s. Once all the guests have arrived, Thor, Son of Satan, and Steve use their respective superpowers to put on a dope display of pyrotechnics in honor of the departed. Back at her brownstone, Patsy writes in her journal about how sad and alone she feels, and about how she doesn't like funerals. Then the lights go out and she hears a strange and ethereal voice moaning, Patsy! Is Raven making a crossover appearance? No, it's just that I only have the one ghost voice. It is the ghost of Valkyrie. Understandably, Patsy freaks out a little bit. Ghost Val looks sad and then slowly fades away. Meanwhile, in a strange and desolate corner of Asgard, the sorceress Carnilla, Queen of the Norns, stands over a weird smoking chasm and prepares to do some unspecified creepy magic. Her darkly indeterminate incantation is interrupted by the arrival of Amora the Enchantress. Hi, Amora! The Enchantress is like, What's the matter, Carnilla? Are you afraid of me? Carnilla's like, What? No. I'm like, way more powerful than you. In fact, you used to be my apprentice until I kicked you out for being too undisciplined. Plus, most of your powers relate to manipulating dudes, and I'm not a dude. Amora's like, yeah, you're totally afraid of me. Carnilla's like, whatever, what do you want? Amora's like, I need you to help me find a magic flower called the Rose of Purity. Carnilla starts laughing and is like, uh, what? What the fuck would you do with that? Amora starts to get all pissed, but then she slows her roll and is like, Please, I really need it. Carnilla's like, Whoa, I don't think I've ever heard you say please before. It's kind of freaking me out. You must be serious about this shit. Okay, sorry I laughed at you, it's just that it's the rose of, you know, purity? And you kind of have a reputation. Rude. Carnilla continues, Look, the rose is on this one super shitty planet where everything sucks. No, not Earth. Different shitty planet. Anyway, it's like the one nice thing there. What do you want with it? 
The Enchantress is like, none of your business! Then she teleports off to a peaceful forest where a guy in a white robe with shoulder-length brown hair is hanging out with a deer and a bunny rabbit. He holds out a hand, and a dove comes and lands on it. We don't see his face, but it sure seems like he's supposed to be Jesus. It's weird. Amora is like, Don't worry, beloved. I'll get you that rose you wanted, and then you'll be mine. Ah, uh, okay. A little bit later, back at the Sanctum Sanctimonious, Patsy tells the Defenders and a few other funeral guests who hung around about seeing Valkyrie's ghost. Gargoyle is like, Did you, though? Probably you didn't. Uh, Isaac? Didn't you just hang out with the ghosts of your mom, dad, and little brother, like, three issues ago? Why the skepticism now? Hulk says that he believes Patsy, but the cat-costumed crime fighter is now second-guessing herself. Then, Valkyrie's ghost appears floating in the middle of the room. So there. Suck it, Isaac. Spider-Man is like, nah, that's not a ghost. I'm gonna karate it. The skeptical superhero tries to karate kick the apparition, but he sails right through the spectral image and crashes into a bookcase. Dumbass. Son of Satan is like, yup. That's a ghost, all right. Guess we'd better do a seance. A few minutes later, Isaac, Steve, Damon, Patsy, Hulk, Namor, Spider-Man, Beast, and Beast girlfriend Vera gather around a large circular table holding hands. In the middle of the table is Val's magic sword, Dragonfang. Damon instructs them all to think super hard about Val and really concentrate. Then he says some kind of generic mystical nonsense. A big old gust of wind comes out of nowhere, and the ground shakes a little bit. So I guess either Val's spirit is there, or the Hulk overindulged in beans at the wake. Turns out it's the former, because after a second, a ghostly image of Valkyrie appears hovering over the table, and is like, Thanks, guys. I see there are a few extra faces around the table, but not to worry. I brought enough exposition for everybody. Dig in! For starters, I'm not really dead. Hooray! See, remember how my soul got stuffed into the body of Barbara Norris after she went all cuckoo when Steve severed her mental connection to an extra-dimensional creature called the Nameless One who Hub nicknamed Glenn? Sure you do. Then remember how Barbara's mind took over my old body back in Asgard and started palling around with a god of biathlons who dressed like a street shark and was trying to take over Hela's job as ruler of the dead, only we defeated them and then banished both the street shark-looking guy and Barbara to be tormented in Niflheim for all eternity? Of course you do. Well, the thing is, since my old body is still alive in Niflheim, I didn't really die when Barbara's old body, which I was wearing around at the time, got killed. So I'm a ghost now. Got it? Remarkably, everybody seems to get it. Damon is like, Well, let's go to Niflheim, get your old body back, and kick this Barbara lady out of it. Sound good? Everyone thinks that does indeed sound good. But before they can begin their quest, Dragonfang rises up off the table, and the ghost of Val gets hoovered into it. Well, that was unexpected. 
The gang is still puzzling over that turn of events when something else unexpected happens. There is a puff of smoke and a small flash of lightning. When the smoke clears, Amora the Enchantress is standing on the table and holding Dragonfang aloft. She's like, Ha ha! Now you guys have to do what I say, or I'll melt this sword and Valkyrie with it. To be continued. Man, I hate to say it, but it seems like Jesus has been a bad influence on that supervillain. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? It's going okay. How are you? I'm doing all right. I received a very interesting and somewhat alarming pamphlet in the mail the other day. Oh, I think I may have gotten the same thing. They are going to reveal the secrets of the prophecy, so that's good news. But the bad news is, I guess winged lions are coming? And cheetahs. How many heads did the cheetah in yours have? Uh, it's uh, standard three, I guess. Yep, that's cheetahs for you. And there was a bear with some kind of a medieval weapon in its mouth. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, guess I've got a seminar to attend. Would you really do that just to see what it was like? In theory, but man, I feel like that's how you end up joining cults. Well, you sounds to me like you've just laid out a challenge for both the <laughs> cults and yourself. I don't think it's necessarily in my purview to help cults improve themselves. If you can convert me, you're a hell of a cult. I'm sorry, you're a heck of a cult. Oh, that's right. We don't know what kind of... Well, we do know that they're going to reveal the secrets of Hellfire. That'll be good. And um, my favorite in those is how to overcome bad habits. Yeah, I noticed that was the last one that they had. It was like, secrets of the prophecy, Hellfire revealed, uh, how Satan's running... Everything. And then, yeah, how to cure yourself of bad habits. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe once Satan takes over the earth and uh, covers it in a uh, sheen of darkness, it'll just be harder to find your fingernails to chew on. So problem solves itself. That's why they put it in the last bullet point. I feel like it's one of those where people skim all the stuff and they're like, yeah, yeah, hellfire, whatever. Ooh, I sure wish I could stop smoking or masturbating or chewing my nails or whatever the bad habit is. Hmm. Uh, but then you get there, and they lay all that shit on you, and by the time you get down to the last bullet, you're just like, Pfft. I'm too tired to masturbate. Is that how this works? Probably. Uh. Well, it sounds like uh, we can save ourselves a little bit of time and money, and maybe not get suckered into joining a cult. Oh, just by not going? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like you've cracked their code. Hey! <laughs> well, now that we have all that extra time on our hands from not joining a cult, you want to read a comic book? I beat you to it. I read a comic book. Well, let's talk about it, shall we? Okay. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? You know, based on the art on the cover, and the title on the cover, and then the title on the inside page, I thought we were going to get a much more, like, I don't know, heavy metal mm. kind of issue. And instead it was just kind of, I don't know, sad and religious. It was religious. I don't think it was a specific religious, necessarily. Oh, yeah? You're going you're gonna to get that hot Jesus business if you don't have the <laughs> rose of purity, my friend? <laughs> okay, fair enough. But, like, the religious views actually being espoused by the characters seemed fairly non-denominational at any rate. Non-denominational, yes. Shitty, 
Very much so. I felt like this whole thing was like, okay, we're going to do Donna Troy grief counseling, but with lots of flowery prose. Mm. I can see that being a takeaway of it. And yes, none of the characters had particularly good advice. The tone of the book and the tone of the advice that everyone seemed to be giving Patsy was, hey, death isn't something that you need to fear or be angry about or be too sad about. It's something that you need to accept. It's an important and natural and in some ways beautiful part of life. And that is very much at odds with the glowing-eyed skull that is on the cover with Death Stalks the Defenders, which is a really cool cover, I gotta say. Yeah. And and very, like, seasonally appropriate for the Halloweening that is upcoming. It is appropriate for the Halloweening that is upcoming. (laughs) Or has just gone by, depending on when this episode comes out. I'm still a little iffy on that. Mm. But, contents of the book? Not, uh, not so much. Yeah. And I did feel like it sort of picked and choose from different aspects of different faiths with how you deal with what happens to, I don't know, a soul after it leaves a body. We learn that Kyle was a good, good boy, and so he's probably in heaven. But we also learn, I think from Steve, that it's highly likely he'll be reincarnated. Yeah, well, a bunch of different characters give little speeches. We start off with Captain America starting to give a little speech right after Kyle has been killed that is basically, freedom isn't free. It must be watered with the blood of patriots to grow, or, you know, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And Patsy is just like, yo, shut the fuck up, Steve. She gets two Steves to tell to shut up in this issue. Mm -hmm. So, no waiting. Which, I understand, but the way that she responds to it specifically wasn't particularly great, because she's like, these aren't just faceless soldiers. This is someone who was a friend that I knew and cared about. And, I mean, Captain America did fight in World War II, so those faceless soldiers that she's talking about were actually probably people that he knew and cared about, that he is relating direct experience, not merely a platitude. But it does come off as a platitude, for sure. You get Isaac giving the speech or starting to that, well, it was his time. You know how it is. It's like, dude, you sold your soul to a devil and got stuffed in an immortal body. Not the best person to give that speech. And also that is a shitty speech to give to somebody who is grieving. Well, that's the thing. All this advice comes rapid fire on immediate news of one of her best friend's death, which is... Yeah, and Kyle's death, too. (laughs) You know what I meant. I I do know what you meant, but I mean, she does have two friends die in very rapid succession. And then, yeah, you have Son of Satan giving maybe my favorite of the speeches, in part because it is just the most nonsensical. His reasoning is, look, I know you're sad, but you shouldn't be sad, Patsy, because we've met my dad. He's Satan. And if there is, and this is a quote, a prince of evil, then there must be a lord of love. That's some interesting logic that's going on there. I don't know how that follows, like that one follows the other. Also, specifically the phraseology, lord of love, seems like what they would maybe call the I don't know, Halloween store costume version of Jesus, where it's not really a nickname that I've heard ascribed to him. Like, it's not Prince of Peace, Mm -hmm. and it's not King of Kings. Mm -hmm. It's a Lord of Love. Yeah, my grasp of the mechanics of monarchy isn't great, but I don't know. Is it 
like a rule that if there's a prince of some sort, there's an opposing lord? I wouldn't. No, think I would. So I would think even if you're operating under the erroneous assumption that everything has to have an exact opposite, the exact opposite of a prince of evil. I frankly love the idea that love is the opposite of evil. I think that's great. But then it should at least be prince of love. Yeah, prince to prince. Right. Because otherwise, what are we even fucking doing? Like, well, since there's a prince of evil, there must also be a duke of friendship. Or a baron of bonhomie. (laughs) I wonder if they were listening to... That Yellow Man classic, Zunga 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 Zeng, I think it is, hmm. where it's a lot of back and forth like that. Gosh, I can't remember all of them. I think it's if if you have a start, you must have an end is one. Okay, that's fair. I think there's maybe one in there about if you have a rooster, you must have a hen. Oh, okay. Which is, that's more like this. Sure. Prince Lord thing. It's more like... Well, you know, I was in the orchard the other day, and I picked a beautiful apple off of a tree, and I took a bite out of it, and it was delicious. Therefore, it stands to reason that there must also be, like, super shitty apples that grow under the ocean and are square and made of cement and taste like crap. (laughs) Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Generally not. No. But, you know, nice try, son of Satan. And then, yes, you have Steve making the argument that the soul is eternal and immutable, therefore there's no reason to be sad when somebody dies. And the example that he gives is that when he was first studying with the Ancient One, one of the monks who basically worked for the Ancient One, who had been there for a long time, died, and the Ancient One was like, eh, whatever. And Steve's like, I was really upset about that, but then he he made fun of me for being upset and uh, told me that, you know, death is no big deal, so don't be upset. And I don't know, I guess that's a fine attitude to take if that is your religious understanding. It also does seem like he's basically telling Wong, you know, when you die, I'm not going to be sad. Well, any of you. Yeah. But specifically, it felt like a parallel to Wong, because it's a monk who, like, worked for the Ancient One. Mm. It sounds like the Ancient One might have also just been a dick. It's possible. Yeah. It is also weird. I understand that she isn't around for the later speeches, but for the beginning round of speeches that gets given by Captain America, and I, I think Isaac tries to pipe in with a little bit of advice then, Valkyrie doesn't say anything, which seems kind of weird. Because her job was literally ushering the souls of warriors who died in battle to Valhalla. So it seems like if anyone there could actually offer some concrete, hey, here's what is actually going to happen with Kyle, and here's why you shouldn't be sad about it, and you know what, maybe we can go visit him, should have been Valkyrie. Or Val was like, oh, my friend is grieving, I'm going to let her process this and be angry for a minute. I think that is also... A good point. I would have liked to have heard Val's perspective on it at some point, but you're right. I think that does make sense. Also, it is possible. I mean, Kyle didn't have a weapon in his hand when he died, so maybe he's not going to Valhalla, and so she knows for a fact that he's going to the shitty place, and so she's like, yeah, maybe you can say hi to Barbara Norris for me. Where's that, uh, Niflheim? In this one, yeah, it's Niflheim. In real Norse mythology, it would be hell, but with one L. Uh, right, yeah. 
Well, yeah, maybe that's uh, also why she was just like, <laughs> yep, mm. bummer. Yeah. And then we get a real bummer because uh, she gets shot in the back by one more Roman centurion. And I know we talk a lot about just the general inconsistency of power and life and death and everything in comic books. Yeah. But this one really rubbed me the wrong way. And I think one of the characters, it's maybe Hellcat in there, is just like, I don't get it. We've been doing all these adventures <laughs> and nobody even got a scratch. And now two of us die in one day? Yeah, no, she raises a good point. I will say, I initially read it that it was she just got shot in the back by a pistol. I think it was some kind of a fancy high-tech weapon. It describes what shoots her as a miniature missile. And at first I thought that just meant a bullet, but I think it might be some kind of high-tech what's it or something yeah a big deal exploding thing yeah either way shitty i did not like that i didn't like that it happened i thought it was interesting and well i wasn't crazy about the various speeches that got given i liked the idea of having an issue that primarily focuses on characters processing grief and i think that was the intention of the story and that's not really what we get from it at the end of the last issue, we were promised a very different kind of Defender story you've never seen before. And that makes me wonder if initially that had been what was going to be the premise of the entire issue. And then maybe Jim Shooter was just like, no, nah, you got to draw some kind of other shit like that in there. This is for kids still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess the fact that the, the title of the book was On Death and Dying, which is that book by, I forget who it's by, but that talks about the stages of grief and everything. Oh, is that what that book is called? I think so. Oh, honestly, all I could think when I saw that the title was On Death and Dying was, uh, is Krista Tippett going to be hosting it? I hope so. She's charming. Is that the philosophy talk? Yeah, it's person? On Being. On um, Being. But mm. just like having it be on something, that mm. was immediately where my mind went. And uh, Krista Tippett, spoiler, does not show up anywhere in this book. No, but I guess it's not a spoiler. If you're listening, and and you want a better ad for your show, send us some money. Or you know what? We'll do a work trade. Krista Tippett, if you want to come and talk about the Defenders with us, I would love that. Ooh, yeah. I would prefer not to go on and talk about philosophy. Although we could just talk about what a dipshit Rene Descartes is. I feel like I already said everything I have to say on that topic. But sure, my disdain for Rene Descartes is a renewable resource. Yeah, I mean, you're a demon. <laughs> See? Yeah. There we go. That's I said that last time. Yeah, it bears repeating. Thanks. So, I have a math problem for you, Corey. Oh, no. Why would you do that? It's a word problem. Oh, even better. Yeah, I know. Mm. So, if Satan is also three other Satans, Mm -hmm. and is God, mm -hmm. and God mm -hmm. is also the Holy Spirit and Jesus, then, if the Enchantress marries Jesus, will she make Son of Satan call her mommy? I didn't get a super, I don't know, maternal vibe. Oh, I don't, character. I don't either. Like, just I, to mess with him? Just to mess with him, like, wicked stepmother type of way. Who's like, I guess she's not younger than him. She's very old. All the ancient Norse guys, very old. So, I guess the answer is, 
I mean, mathematically, she could. Mm -hmm. But would she? Maybe. I think she would. But that whole situation, what the fuck is going on with the Enchantress crushing on Jesus? I don't know. And what's going on with Jesus, who's like, you're not going to get none of this sweet Jesus unless you purify up, girl. I don't like that idea. I don't I don't like the idea of Jesus slut-shaming Enchantress. Doesn't it kind of seem like that what was going on there? The fact that what she needs to bring him is the Rose of Purity, and that Carnilla, when Enchantress says Rose of Purity, is like, <laughs> You? <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. It really does seem like both Carmilla and, to an extent, Jesus are trying to slut-shame the Enchantress, and that's not cool. It's not at all cool. The only thing is, maybe he's just drawn like Jesus, because when he turns around, he's got, uh, like, one of those blank faces. I may have been misinterpreting that. I thought that was a cut to the shot of Valkyrie's ghost, because the next page starts with a vision of Valkyrie's ghost, and it does look like Val's haircut, but maybe that is a blank-faced version of Jesus, or the Jesus-like being that Enchantress is approaching. It's tough. That panel does end with interlude ends, so it could be cutting to a different scene, or it could still be that scene. Hmm. There is a slight change in the color in the background of it, so it is kind of ambiguous in that way. Mm -hmm. It was weird, though, and you definitely, you saw that as Jesus at first, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. When he first shows up. Mm -hmm. And not just Jesus, but like, Disney Jesus. Oh, yeah, no, he's got the, what do you call that, the baby deer? and uh... A doe? A deer? No, uh, a female deer. A fawn. Yeah. Fawn. Yeah, sorry. Ray. <laughs> a drop of golden sun? Yeah. Yeah. There's that, too. Me. That's the name I call myself. Fa. Long, long way Wicked Fa. <laughs> Wicked Fa, It is weird that they built a New England accent into that song. Mm. Uh, yeah, but no. Ursat's Jesus, let's call him that for now. Mm -hmm. Maybe St. Francis. Ooh, maybe. That would be a stretch. Yeah, because the thing is, if it is Jesus, it's it's not even Disney Jesus necessarily. It might be Mormon Jesus, because that would be the only one that I think would have been in a climate with, like, uh, temperate deciduous forests, which he seems to be in, because he's hanging out with, like, a rabbit and a deer, mm -hmm. and there's, like, woods with leaves on the trees and stuff. So you wouldn't get a ton of that type of shit in the Middle East. And in the Book of Mormon, Jesus comes and hangs out in North America for a little while. Mm -hmm. So it could be that Jesus. Could I guess maybe be the William Blake Jesus? The, and did those feet in ancient times walk across England's mountains green? Uh, because I was carrying you. Ah, there we go. There was that, that William Blake? Uh, I think that was a postcard. Oh. I, I think that was a postcard in a beach gift shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mix them up, too, sometimes. It's also possible. I mean, it's a question. Did those feet in ancient times walk across England's mountains green? No. Oh, they didn't. That was so decisive. He stayed in the Middle East at that time. Yeah. So weird. I, I mean, I don't really see him and the Enchantress as a couple, but who knows? Opposites attract. Well, no, not to him. He's, again, we're back to that. She's mm, like, oh, He needs the purity rose. Yeah. I got to... Virginate myself so we can hang out. Uh, so creepy. And not really in keeping with Norse mythology, you wouldn't think. That doesn't seem like their thing. I don't know much about their uh, take on sexuality, but it 
imagine they thought it was cool. Yeah, they were into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Their take on sexuality was, yes, please. Like when you're filling out one of those forms as a kid, uh-huh. it says sex. Yeah. That's an old Norse joke. Yes. So, not crazy about how they got there in terms of the platitudes and whatnot. And I got some quibblings about the way it was staged. But all things considered, it's a pretty dope funeral. That was one of the best parts of it. And I think I complained earlier about this being a a much less heavy metal comic than it purported to be on the cover. Uh Uh-huh. That funeral scene pretty much made up for that complaint. It was pretty fucking rad. The art in this issue is wildly inconsistent. For the second issue in a row, we have it being a kind of Frankenstein together book that has four different inkers working on it. A different four inkers than last time. I think two of them are the same. I think Sal Trapiani and Al Milgram worked on both books, but this one has Chick Stone and Mike Esposito. Some panels come off really, really good, others much less so. But man, that funeral scene where Thor is bellowing at the heavens and making lightning shoot into the sky out of his hammer, and Son of Satan is bellowing at the heavens and shooting hellfire into the sky out of his trident, and Steve is lighting a trash can on fire and probably yelling. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it, too. I did think it was funny that Steve was just like, ah, lights a trash can on fire. I wonder to what extent that is his go-to move. It's going to burn forever. He had already lit the eternal flame that was going to burn forever and set that up at the beginning of the funeral. He was just lighting a goddamn trash can on fire at that point. I think it was because when when Son of Satan and Thor started doing their thing, he was like, oh, I should do, I can do things, too. Fire! You notice the only person there who can do projectile energy and did not do a let the heavens know that a warrior is coming and she's bringing Nighthawk with her was Silver Surfer. He just sat on his hands that whole time. Could have been shooting Kirby Crackle up there. Make that really pop. Yeah, but this is, he's not been on coke maybe for a while so i think this is the sad surfer again okay i guess that makes sense and also he wasn't particularly tight with them so maybe he is like yeah this is their moment they need this Mm kind of odd that thor is one of the people that is most into the morning there and is most broken up about it i don't recall him meeting nighthawk except for as an adversary But it turns out a few hundred years ago, him and Val dated. So maybe that's what it's about. It could be. It seems like kind of a ripoff for Nighthawk, though. As much as I like the funeral, that it's it's like a group birthday where one of the people's really popular and the other one isn't so much. Having a group funeral like that, that's for him and Valkyrie, I think it would have been a lot less well attended if it was just for him. Mm. And... I think it especially gets undercut when it turns out that Val isn't even dead. So it it seems like he got kind of scammed out of some mourning there. Well, I mean, I guess this is my take and it's not in keeping with the the comic book, but he's dead. Yeah. Funerals are for the people that aren't. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And that is generally my take on it as well. So I'd feel kind of scammed. 
You wouldn't, though. Yeah, I I know. That's not how it works. <laughs> I know that's not how it works, but, uh... I mean, some people think that's how it works. I know. And none I'm, of us are going to be able to move the other person wrong. That's true. So, but I'm just going to cross my arms. <laughs> Understandable. And duly noted. I still do kind of want pyrotechnics at my funeral. All right, you got it. Even if we don't have pyrotechnics at my funeral, I kind of want to have that be, like, in the will, because I feel like that's the last thing that you get credit for that you don't have to do any work on. That's true. Like, so, I'm going to, like, just, like, leave instructions to have a super elaborate funeral, and then, like, if it happens, people will be like, oh, man, I can't believe Hub did all this shit. <laughs> I didn't do shit. He's normally that <laughs> not that much of a planner. <laughs> that's true. But, no, I get I get my Earl of Sandwich moment. Where I say, hey, do this complicated thing. And everybody's like, I can't believe Hub did that thing. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Big pyrotechnics at my funeral. And if the Silver Surfer shows up, you make sure he shoots that cosmic shit up in the air. Okay. But. But I'll never know if you don't. I don't don't like this topic. Okay. Captain America's got to feel pretty out of place there. He barely knew any of those people. Maybe they had um, bonding in the... Well, no, they didn't really... Everybody was all mind-wiped and stuff. Yeah, they were all unconscious the entire time they were in there. I think he met Valkyrie again when they fought in the Avengers-Defenders War. He knows Patsy pretty well. And I think he's only faced Nighthawk as an adversary. So he was like the last person there when... Val and Nighthawk died, so I, I can see why they felt like they had to include him, but it had to be awkward for everybody. I also feel bad for him in terms of, like, his little platitude speech. I can see him being like, well, I'm Captain America. Everybody's going to expect me to say something. I should say something. And so as gratifying as it was to see Patsy tell him, no, your bullshit speech is bullshit, and it was gratifying, mm-hmm. still felt kind of bad for him. Yeah, it's an awkward position to be in. I was once at a bachelor party because my ex was, was in the wedding mm. and knew everybody. And they were like, what do we do with this guy? <laughs> I have been in a similar position where I was performing the wedding for a very good friend of mine. And I did not know the groom very well. Mm. But because I was there, I was in all of the wedding party stuff. So yeah, I was there for the bachelor party. And yeah, it's, it's awkward. And I feel like that must be what it's like for Captain America. Mm-hmm. Probably less strippers. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know what Kyle had in his rider for his funeral. Mm. I mean, definitely had make Steve light a trash can on yep, fire. trash fire. Maybe Steve just wanted to light the trash can on fire so that if Frank Stallone came by later, him and his buddies would have something to sing around. That's probably it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm answering weirdly because it's hard for me to put... My Stallones and all these other ratings that I just really associate with the other comic that we read in, in this sure. context. Well, I guess we have my answer for that potential that's new a, category. That's a Frank Stallones? This, well, no, this is a Rocky One comic book. That is the Sylvester Stallone movie that this comic book reminds me of. The new category that we're starting. The first Rocky movie because there is a trash can on fire. Okay. Like in Rocky, they had the trash can on fire and Frank Stallone was singing the... Take you back. Do, 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 do. Take you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what Steve was doing for the funeral. 
reminding me of Rocky One, and providing a venue for Frank Stallone's doo-wop stylings. Wow. So I guess Val's plan now is to get the heroes to storm into hell to commandeer her old body back from the woman whose body she stole and then died in. Mm-hmm. Seems like a dick plan. Well, it got kind of fouled up by Enchantress. Did it? I thought that was what Enchantress is like, no, that's what we're going to do and I'll help, but first she's going to go live in a sword for a while? Uh, maybe I lost the thread a little bit. It seemed like Enchantress was... I thought she was, like, kidnapping her to be like, hey, Titans, you gotta help me do what I want. That seems more like Enchantress. You need to help me go get that sweet Jeebus. <laughs> Got to get me some of that Jesus. Corey. Huh. He's hung like this. Oh! oh. That Sorry. was a visual joke. You can't. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll cut it out. It's very inappropriate. He can't see the arms. I think people can figure it out from context. So, aren't they going to just have to find her a new corporeal, but not... Wait, Barbara Norris's body was like a magic body. Right. So they got to find her a new magic body? I think they're going to get her old body that Barbara Norris is currently living in out of hell and try to put her in there and just evict Barbara. Man, two wrongs don't make a right, I no, was told. that's true. I guess, yeah, so Valkyrie had been in Barbara Norris's body, which is, I guess, magic, but it's magic because of the Enchantress. Like, it wasn't an inherently magical body, I don't think. It got magicked up. So it seems like they could magic up another body, probably. I'm, frankly, from her death scene, wondering if that is even Barbara Norris's body, because it looks like it might be Betty Davis's body. Oh. In her death throes... She's making a very Betty Davis face. Yeah, I could see the Betty Davis thing. Very heavy on the, the eyeshadow and a dark lipstick. Yeah. Which is not also typical Val. No, I, I mean, death changes us in interesting ways, I guess. The art in this issue, as I said, is pretty inconsistent. In addition to some characters having very different looking faces at times, there is also a whole, like, three-page sequence where there are just no backgrounds for any character, and when they're talking, it'll just be a close-up of one character's head, and then the background will be a different primary color. And that is when they are all giving their speeches about what death is and why Patsy is grieving wrong. Mm -hmm. So it, it gives it almost the feeling that it's like a documentary or a mockumentary where they're all being interviewed about what death means to them. It, it is a, a weird sequence of events. The other main takeaway from those, and maybe this adds to it feeling more staged, is it really seems like the brownstone that Kyle bought for Patsy, Valkyrie, and Isaac is the set of a play. Mm. Did it look that way to you? I hadn't had the thought, but now that you pointed out, I, I can totally see that. Especially with Steve floating down the stairs. It just looks like the set of a sitcom. And, and, like, it has these high-vaulted ceilings that, like, you see where the ceiling would normally end. It, it's really odd. It really just looks like they're living in a diorama. Mm -hmm. And it was confusing to me a little bit. Understandable. Thank you. You're welcome.
Well, there's a lot more to talk about, but uh, are you ready to move into the minutiae, or was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we did? I think whatever we gotta say is, is gonna come out in the minutiae. I would imagine so. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Cory, what, uh, what category do you feel like starting off with? You want to talk about uh, some artwork because we've already touched on it? Sure. I have a clear favorite panel, and I would not be surprised if it ended up being the same as yours. But there were also a bunch of other panels that I really liked. Uh, the favorite is one we've talked about before. It is the funeral scene. It's just really, really good. Yes, you can continue not to be surprised because that was indeed my choice. Mm. But other than that, there were some other really, really good panels. There were also some that, as I said, weren't as good. The art was wildly inconsistent. But another of my favorite panels is one I called Sad Hulk. And it's when Hulk arrives at the funeral and Hawkeye is being a fucking dick to him. What a surprise. Yeah, no shit. And then you just see a close-up of his face and he is crying and he looks very sad. And it is a very moving panel. And I really appreciated that. There was another panel that I called Dear Old Dad on page 7. And that is Son of Satan talking about his time in hell. I believe setting up the false equivalency of... If there's a thing, there must be an opposite of the thing. That is some Rene Descartes levels of dumb shittery. Mm -hmm. But it is also a beautifully drawn panel, and specifically, Satan looks great there. Yeah, he does. What a handsome devil. Indeed. Yeah, I had some backup choices also. I thought the way that Val's ghost was initially depicted was really cool. They did a negative thing where she's outlined and shadowed in white when the whole background is black shadow. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there is a comic art sort of trick to that. If not, it seems like it would be an incredible pain in the butt for the art team to pull that off. Yeah, I think it might just be a pain in the butt. But you're right. I think it is worth it. I really liked on page 18 a panel that I call, what a dumb idiot. Because it looks like that is what Son of Satan is saying to Steve, like, kind of confidentially, when Spider-Man has just tried to attack a ghost and has gone through it. Mm -hmm. uh, it is just him conferring, and there is just, like, a conspirational look on his face, like, huh, did you believe this guy? And it just kind of cracked me up. I felt so bad for Spidey. I did, too. It's an awkward position that he's in. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I hated the situation in which the sound effect occurred, and I was also, I guess, more so confused than feeling like it was my favorite, but it was the one that stood out to me the most, and it is the noise that a pistol that shoots tiny rockets makes, which is... We are! <laughs> I know what you mean. Before the detonation makes a wathoom! Yep. The wathoom is very nicely drawn. The weor! Just, it's like, it's not a, I don't know, weaponly sound? Yeah, it, it is an odd one, especially where we've seen before that almost all of the weapons that these people have make the noise z. Mm -hmm. Like a little laser gun. Z. Yeah. That makes sense, like pew pew. Yeah, Z. That's the noise that a laser beam wielded by a Roman centurion makes. Everybody knows that. Sure. It's one of the first sound effects you're taught. Pig says oink. 
modern day evil centurion with a laser pistol says Z. Mm-hmm. Beast says ping. <laughs> no, that's also Roman centurion says ping when he sees what beast is rocking. I know. Yeah. In terms of other inexplicable noises, when Enchantress shows up in a cloud of smoke at the end, very dramatic entrance, it makes the noise Calcum. Mm-hmm. What is that about? Yeah, no, that's right up there with Eeyore. Yeah. Calcum! It's like they're trying to spell calcium and just getting it wrong. It just doesn't... It doesn't add up. No. But I did kind of enjoy it. Sure. I also liked... We talked just now about feeling bad for Spider-Man. And when he tries to karate kick the ghost of Valkyrie, which is not a traditional ghost-busting move... Mm-mm. He falls into a bookcase and it makes the noise bump. Yeah, the sound effects, I think, in general in this issue are, are pretty wacky. And that we see he knocks over several books mm-hmm. and we just get one bump. Yeah. Oh, Spider-Man. <laughs> and he's scared, too. Yeah. Because he felt a, a coldness when he tried to drop kick the ghost. Drop kick? No, no, no. A drop kick is what you do your, to your jacket when you walk through the door. Uh, what he does is a jump kick. Oh, double-feeted double-footed two feet i thought he was leading with one foot is oh, it a two-footed he? kick oh i don't know yeah okay I, I guess it's two feet he's definitely leading with one of them i don't think that's a drop kick no because because no, he's staying right. he's staying vertical yeah that's the ticket yeah you know the pathological liar routine that john lovitz did oh gosh it's been a while but the yeah that's the ticket yeah it's come up on the show before yeah did you know that he stole that from michael keaton when michael keaton used to be a stand-up comedian no i did not yeah. I didn't know Michael Keaton used to be a stand-up comedian. That was how he got his start. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Wow. From there to Batman. I know. With a detour at Beetlejuiceville on the way. Yep. This is a category that I actually didn't have all that much for, but maybe you came up with more than I did. Sartorially speaking... Which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most discussion-worthy? Yeah, I didn't have a ton here either. It centered on the scenes in which Carnilla and Enchantress were interacting. Yep. Specifically, I noticed Carnilla's hat. Yeah, I think I wrote down fancy headgear. Yes, it is like she has a beehive hairdo that then on top of it has... It looks to me, and this is a very specific reference that I suspect most people don't have this as a reference point, but the antique toast maker my great-grandmother used to use to make toast on a stovetop, it's this, like, wire pyramid-shaped rack that you set toast on the outside of it of and then flip, Mm -hmm. and it goes around a flame. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I called it beehive toast head, but that's (laughs) what Carnilla was wearing to me. And it... It's a weird hat. I generally, if we're doing a Kirby-designed character from Asgard, I want a more elaborate hat than that. And I think in the past, Carnilla has had some much better hats than this one. Yeah. Yeah, it was noticeable, but not, you know, it's not the most amazing piece of Asgardian headgear I've seen. Yeah. I mean, put the toast on there. That's how you get ants, Hope. That's how you get ducks. (laughs) There's that horde of ducks flying around her head, flapping this way and that. That's bad for ducks. Yeah, but they still love it. I'm not saying the ducks should eat the toast. I'm saying they're going to. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, don't do that. 
Yeah. They're going to shit all over the place. <laughs> oh, man. Fucking Nornheim just littered with duck shit because of Carnilla's hat. Yeah. Man, you're right. It's probably better off without the toast, but it would be a more striking look if uh, her head was just surrounded with a wreath of toast and ducks. Fair enough. Very majestic. Oh, yeah. Imperial Lord of Love. The Crown of Mallards. Corey, let's have us a Battle of the Band Names! So loud. Thank you. Mm -hmm. In the text of this issue, what band names were you able to find? So, I think we used it before, so we can't go with it again, or it came up before which was Chooser of the Slain, which, mm -hmm. you know, kind of Valkyrie thing. Yeah. Um, so we can skip that, but it did stand out. Sure. I came up with two. Yeah, I had three, so why don't I go first? We've had a lot of, I think, goth-sounding bands before, but I have another, Joyless Planet. Oh, that's um, pretty good. Yeah, so I think it's not a bad band name. I think we've gone uh, with a bit too much nihilism in the past, so I'm not necessarily married to the idea, but I think it's a decent band name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty dour. Yeah. What's your first one? My first one is probably more like a rock band that doesn't play goth-type music, and they are called Sinuous Wickedness. Ooh, Sinuous Wickedness is good. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, put some muscle behind that evil. Uh-huh. It's like I've got an evil swimmer's body. I th when I hear sinuous, I think more like, um, I don't know, Steven Tyler. <laughs> no, Steven Tyler. You, you, so you're thinking of like wiry. Isn't it sinews are like the uh, wires that hold the muscles together, right? Yeah, but I don't know. I, I feel like you often hear like muscular dudes described as sinuous, but like maybe more of a swimmery type thing. Mm, I don't know. More like a, not people with a large degree of, what's it called? Hypertrophy? When, oh. have, when you have big muscles, more like a Bruce Lee type. Okay, Sydney yeah, Lee. I could see that, but I, I don't think Steven Tyler belongs in that category. You know, Steven Tyler and Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah, one of those types. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't necessarily have mighty thews. Right. I think that's a very good band name. Another one that I had was Lord of Love. <laughs> <laughs> I got me some, like, nice R&B Luther Vandross style stuff. Oh, okay. I think that would be pretty yeah. sweet. Teddy Pendergrass just mm -hmm. yelling, <laughs> I think yelling love at people. Yeah, I think smoother than Teddy Pendergrass. Although it, Teddy Pendergrass did have a certain authoritative air to his, <laughs> well, the Lord of to love. his serenading. You're right. You're right. So maybe more that style. What was the other one you had? The other one I had was Keepers of Beyond. Ooh, Keepers of Beyond is not bad. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. mystical sounding. Probably like a... Is uh, there such a genre as space rock? Probably. Something like rock about space. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, I can see that. Lots of, I don't know, weird Moog keyboard things and reverby guitars. Mm. Echo pedals. Wow. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Spacey. Nice. I had Wraiths of Black Wrath. Whoa. And what I think they are, I think they're a band kind of like Prophets of Rage, the uh, the super group that is members of Public Enemy and mm. and Rage Against the Machine mm -hmm. and Cypress Hill. Mm. But it's the other members of those bands. 
the guys that didn't make the yeah so it's like it's like you know it's like send dog and zach de la rocha and terminator x uh so it's still a good band but just different than prophets of rage Mm -hmm. but like similar genre like like yeah wraiths of black wrath that's that's a a heavy name pretty tough Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah shit so we got a lot of options here uh we don't know Initial who we're thoughts. going. We don't know who we're going up against. No, I believe it is probably going to be either Dick Raven or <laughs> forgot Dick Raven. How could I forget Dick <laughs> Raven? Oh, motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dick Raven. <laughs> in, in this situation, you would be the motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I guess so. And I forget what the one from last week was. Twanger. No, I think it was the uh, the mar- goth marching band. The, uh... oh. So we don't know who we're going up against. What are you thinking? Either. Man, I think they're all really pretty good. I think, I think there are a lot of strong options here. What was your sinewy... It was a sinuous wickedness. Sinuous wickedness. Honestly, I think I'd like it a little better if it was sinewy wickedness. The us and Ness together... I still like it, but I think that does take it down like half a step for me. Okay, what were what were yours again? You had a, um, ra- a black wraiths of black wrath, wraiths of black wrath, Lord of Love, and Joyless Planet. Man, I really like Joyless Planet, but I feel like it's too much in the goth like we've been doing. Yeah. So, uh, Keepers of Beyond is a little too spacey. You want to go with Keepers the of, the wraiths? Keepers of Beyond? I like Keepers of Beyond. You think that's too spacey? Maybe that's what this world needs right now, is some good old outer space rock. Good old-fashioned outer space rock, a genre that we think might exist. Yep. Yeah, back to the basics of that. Cool. All right. Keepers of Beyond it is. All right. I will post that Twitter poll, and you can all let your voices be heard on this important issue. All right. Well, I will um, ask you a question. Well, what what question is that, Corey? Behold or be gone? I don't know. What am I beholding or wishing was be gone? So you remember that one time a long while ago when we went to the sporting goods store and got those pellet guns? Yeah. And then uh, shot them at my fence for a while? Yeah, and one of them ricocheted and hit you in the dick. Oh yeah, that wasn't good. But up before that <laughs> happened, I wasn't injured. It just yeah. surprised me. I right. did fall down, which was alarming to everybody. Yeah, I was just surprised. Yeah, a guy gets shot in the dick and he falls down. You think something might be wrong? Yep, yep. It didn't hit me right in the penis. Yeah, I mean, I was wearing pants. So. Right, right, and and it was a pellet gun that had you know bounced off of a fence and then rebounded like thirty feet. Yeah, so it was a very low impact, but still extremely alarming. surprising. Yes. But that's not why I tell the story. Okay. So I hate the circumstance in which Val is killed. Yeah. But also, it was pretty fun, except for the dick shot. Sure. Shooting the pellet guns. And I don't think a pistol that shoots an exploding rocket is probably something that would ricochet. You would have to be careful about what you shot it at. You would have to be very careful, yes. Mm -hmm. So the Beholder Be Gone is... You know, just for fun purposes, not for hurting anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. Would you like a chance to, whenever you want, go out and shoot an exploding rocket thing at stuff that you can blow up, and there's no harm, no foul, you just get to blow shit up. But you always have to wear that Roman centurion outfit when you use it. 
could I wear the Roman centurion outfit at other times? No, nope. or is it only okay? Yeah, no, they're they're. That's uh, gonna be a real tease. Um, <laughs> gosh, what tips it slightly in its favor? I think is honestly the fact that it does make that weird we are <laughs> sound. I think that would be pretty fun. Other than that, we have been to a shooting range together before. I think you liked it more than I did. I did not enjoy shooting a gun. It mm. never stopped freaking me out a little bit. And it was kind of fun, but it really seemed like just not worth it mm. to me. Gosh, I don't like the idea of blowing stuff up in some kind of a nerf world where nothing counts. No harm, just no foul. Access to a world where there is the possibility of no harm, no foul, especially in an explosive context. Plus, I got a Roman centurion outfit. And the gun goes, Eeyore, <laughs> when you shoot it. Nobody's going to make fun of my little leather utility kilt if, uh, if I've got a rocket that goes, Eeyore. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. I probably still would. I'm giving it a be gone. How about you, Corey? So, this is the thing. I kind of want to, I definitely want to give it a behold, but I don't want to be the only guy in the Centurion outfit shooting Aww. a Nerf gun, man. Yeah. So Wait, I, could, could we, like, go in there together and, like, play laser tag at each other with it? Oh, so it can Because you're saying there's no harm, no foul. Hmm. So it would explode, it just wouldn't hurt? hurt? Yeah, sure. It seems like it would set up a scenario, like, I, I feel like that would be bad. I feel like, like, I don't think video games, like, promote violence, but I also know that, like, after I see a Fast and the Furious movie, you probably don't want to drive in a car with me for the next hour. Mm -hmm. I worry that I would forget that not everywhere was Nerf World. I still have to give it a be gone, Corey. I'm sorry. For, for your sake. All right. That's a behold for me. I'm going to... You're going to go I'm, anyway. I'm going to dress up going by yourself. Yep. All right. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and I would like to maybe go and watch you. Would I have to dress as a Roman centurion to do that? It may be the only way that the barbs that are exchanged feel less one-sided. Okay. I, I, you know what, Corey? To be supportive of you, even though I will not have a gun that goes, we are, oh, you when are it gonna shoots be, mini missiles. You are going to be so... It's, I, know, I will go with you. When you have a delicious food and you eat it, so fast because it's delicious and your friend still has more of the food. That's how you're going to feel. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. But y you know what? If you get to do something that you care about, like blowing things up with a rocket while dressed as a centurion, I will be there for you. Yeah, I didn't really want the outfit part, but I had to have the... Well, you've you got know, it. I had to have the, the thing that offsets the fun thing. Sure. Why are you dressed that way now? Well, it was pretty warm earlier. That's fair. So, one be gone and one behold. We are. Corey, every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, who did you have as your best and who did you have as your worst? So, I get what you were saying about Patsy not being sensitive about Cap's experience when she kind of laid into him for his soliloquy. That mm -hmm. said, I feel like overall, she was really good about being like, this is my process. This is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. You guys need to leave me the fuck alone so I can grieve and I can go write in my journal. 
and try and process this stuff. And I thought that was, those were healthy choices that she made. So I, I gave her the nod for that. I agree. I think she did a very good job in that regard. And yeah, she was one of the only people who really seemed interested in processing her emotions rather than trying to logic them away. I did not have her as my choice for the best, but that decision-making process does play into who I chose for my best. I chose Daredevil because he did not proselytize at all. He did not use Patsy's grief and what she was going through as an excuse to be evangelical about his beliefs. And we know from other Daredevil comic books, he is a devout Catholic, and that is an important part of his life. And he didn't try to impose that onto the situation, and I really appreciated that. So I had him as my best. Other characters that I had in contention, Namor, showed up at the funeral went through things in his own way, didn't try to make it about him, didn't need to set any trash cans on fire himself. I thought he did a very good job in that regard. Hulk? And the Hulk, yeah, I thought the Hulk also didn't mix it up with Hawkeye, didn't take the bait, didn't rise to it. I, I thought that he dealt with that situation pretty well, too. Conversely, who did you have as your worst offender? For being, as I put it in my notes, a pompous-ass Donna Troy... <laughs> Steve, man, like floating down the stairs, be like, guys, guys, it's okay. I've figured it all out. I had this teacher. He was a total jerk, but he was cool. <laughs> yeah. Don't be sad. Yeah, I think that is a solid choice. I had him on my short list, and frankly, it wasn't that short old short list, because we also had Gargoyle for dispensing fucking Polonius level dumb shit trite advice. Half a step away from this above all else to thine own self be true. <laughs> like, everybody has a time when they have to go. You know, unless you sold your soul to some demons so that you could live forever. You really dialed back on the old prospector and can tell you're angry. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like he had some other stuff too. So he, he was definitely on the list. Ultimately, and this is a little bit difficult for me to do, I ended up going with Beast. For assuming that he gets to bring a plus one to a funeral, and to a seance, and for putting Vera in that position. Good for her if she wants to go and be supportive with her friend, but she had, I believe, literally never met either of the people that died, and she goes to both Kyle's funeral and then sits in on the seance, and I believe it is because of that. I think it's probably Steve was just like, oh, well, well I hardly set a certain number of spaces here. Uh, Clea, I'm sorry, you're going to have to sit this one out. Clea, who was very close with both Nighthawk and Valkyrie, and was, I believe, in the house at the time, doesn't get to go to the funeral, doesn't get to go to the seance, because Beast brought a plus one. And that's just poor etiquette. Damn. That seems like a real oversight, but also maybe that's a little bit on Steve for not just being like... Oh, if only I had a chair. <laughs> Oops. The folding chairs all the way in the Sanctum's basement. Uh, well, oh no, then I'd have to get another chair for Wong. He'd probably want to come too. It's just easier if every, everybody sits this out. We only have so many chairs. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I'll light this trash can on fire again. <laughs> Frank Stallone, come here. Sounds like you're changing your tune a little bit. I'm coming around on him. Okay. <laughs>
What did you have as your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if it were not made out of steel? In this passage, you will hear one of my offerings for the Battle of the Band Names. Oh. It's from page 15, and it's a bit of exposition that says, From the darkness she comes, arrogance in her every movement, a smooth, sinuous wickedness that both attracts and repels. Not bad. Is that describing the Enchantress? It is. And at first I was like, oh, they're talking about the way that a lady moves. But the more you think about it, it's kind of like watching a snake mm-hmm. or something where it's like, you're like, oh, man, that is fascinating. But also totally kind of give me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Very yeah. snaky. I can see that. Those are some excellent words. I had amongst my favorite words. I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment, but... There is something about the phrasing of it that I did really enjoy when Patsy says, Oh, Doc, what are we going to do? And Steve is still a bit despondent himself at this point. He hasn't yet had the revelation that, Oh, death doesn't matter. It's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's okay because uh, the ancient one, maybe I've told you about him. He's my friend. Very ancient, very powerful. He said death's no big deal, so it's not. Mm -hmm. When Patsy says, Oh, Doc, what are we going to do? Steve says, We will tell ourselves that Kyle's death had meaning, we'll curse ourselves for not finding a way to save him, and we'll go on. He answers it matter-of-factly, What are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. And it's bullshit. We're going to lie to ourselves. That's the way that I was reading it anyway. Like, we're going to lie to ourselves about this, and then we'll go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seemed to me far more of an honest reaction to like the immediacy of heavy yeah. grief then oh it's cool <laughs> yeah don't worry about it his soul's gonna live forever so shut up patsy <sighs> yeah garbage mm-hmm. the other choice i had for my pie not made out of steel is the reaction after we see hulk crying and it's the prose that's on the beautifully drawn i believe also beautifully written funeral scene page Hawkeye steps back, silenced by the eloquence of the Jade Giant's tears. One by one, heads bow, eyes close. One by one, these unique beings turn their thoughts inward, seeking comfort, offering prayers, stilling turbulent thoughts. Then, glazed eyes reopen, as the shared grief of a god, a mystic, and a child of Hades roars skyward. So good. Yeah. You can just imagine them all just being like, ah, yeah, shooting stuff. Yeah, tell the heavens a warrior is coming. And so is Kyle. Mm-hmm. Corey, we get the Hulk back in this issue. It's been a while since we've seen him. Happy to see him back. Sorry for the circumstances. Mm-hmm. But seeing him again reminded me of something I think I've known for a long time. What's that? The Hulk rules. And in this issue, what are the Hulk's rules? In this issue, the Hulk took a page from something that the Enchantress learned, Mm. which is that the magic word can go a long way. When you say please, it's remarkable. Mm. I had him learning from the same incident. And I, I did flirt with the idea of having, yes, that the magic word is sometimes more powerful than magic words. Mm. But I ultimately went with a very similar lesson, which is sometimes vulnerability is more powerful than strength. 
Because when she realized that if she wanted to get some of that sweet, sweet Jesus, then she needed to humble herself and admit her true feelings and show how much she actually cared about it. And Carnilla recognized that and uh, rewarded her with getting that rose of purity. Yep. Or helping her get the rose of purity or telling her what it was. She's something. like, oh, it's just over there. Yeah. I don't think she could get it, though, still. I think she needs to have the defenders get it. That's what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but she wouldn't have gotten that far if she hadn't, you know, been been vulnerable and said, please, it means so much to me. Along similar lines, we also see that the Hulk showed vulnerability, and that really averted there being a, I want to say fight, but it avoided him having to have the inconvenience of squashing Hawkeye like a fucking pancake mm-hmm. in about three seconds flat. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the appropriate venue for that. But uh, in both cases, showing vulnerability helped rescue a potentially fraught situation. Very nice. And so those are the Hulk's rules. Say please, and sometimes you have to be vulnerable. Good job, the Hulk. Way to be, the Hulk. 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 Corey, I have one final question I have to ask you. It's not a, uh, another word problem, I hope. No, no. Thank God. If a train were to leave Vanheim... No! Okay. Well, how about this instead? In the year of our Lord, 1982, and the month of our Lord, June, what Wong doings was Wong doing? Good question. Thank you. You're welcome. So Wong was up to a couple things, but I'm going to... Fast forward to the result of the things he was up to and then explain how we got there. So early June, we find Steve convalescing on a couch in the Sanctum Sanctimonious with an extremely swollen ear, Ooh. a black eye, and uh, you know, bag of ice, and Wong is ministering to him in a, a little bit more kind of humble than usual manner. Mm. I can tell he feels pretty weird. About uh, the state that Steve is in. Steve's just laying there going, Oh, buy this and buy that. Yeah, he's just really, he's a terrible patient. Mm -hmm. You know, doctors. Yeah. So, backing things up, on the 4th of that month in the US, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan had premiered. Oh. And Wong, big sci-fi buff that he is, went to go see it in the theater and was blown away. Awesome movie. Went back, saw it again. Kind of gave him a lot to think about, and he's just, it was, the movie was really on his mind. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the next day, the 5th of June, we have Steve really excited because in the paper he read that a song that he had just been obsessing about made it to number 39 on the pop charts. Nice. And that song is Murphy's Law by, I think it's pronounced Cherry, I'm not sure, Hmm. C-H-E-R-I. Cherry? Maybe. It starts... Very promisingly. <laughs> really funky. It gets fucking weird. Yeah? Have you heard the song? No, not that I know of. You should. Yeah, it starts good, and then it just gets kind of creepy and weird. Anyway, Steve, he loves the song. And okay. um, he reads this news. He gets really excited. He goes, he puts, he has the single. He goes, he puts it on the hi-fi. <laughs> turns it basically all the way up. Starts dancing around <laughs> in the living room, doing his best Stevie disco he can. And Wong is alarmed and comes running downstairs. What's that racket? And Steve shouts to him, I love this song. It's made it to the, you know, top of the chart, blah, 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 blah. It's a real earworm. Wong 
the previous day having oh, seen Wrath my. of Khan is just thinking about uh, what is that called Seti Eel, the little uh, yeah. baby things that Khan puts tries to put in Chekhov's ear. I mean, and he succeeds in putting it in Chekhov's ear. Yeah, super duper creepy, right? They go and they eat your brain or whatever. But I guess I can't remember how they solved that. They got it out. Yeah, they got it out later. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, um, the music is so loud, Wong can't really hear anything, and he just sort of makes out Earworm and Steve's dancing all crazy and, <laughs> and being weird. And so Wong picks up the bellows, you know, the, the fireplace pumper mm-hmm. thing, and just walks over and so whoosh! <laughs> whack Steve on the side of the head really hard, trying to dislodge what he thought was maybe one of those creepy earworms from Wrath of Khan. Oh, my. And just lays Steve out cold immediately realizes what he's done. Kind of similar to that time you punched me in the back in the hotel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hallway. Thought it would be funny. Yeah. Wong drops the bellows, puts both of his hands over his mouth, and gets real quiet. <laughs> and then, you know, everything's okay. He turns the radio off, he goes, he mm-hmm. sure Steve's alright, and Steve convalesces and eventually gets, gets better. Oof. Famous Russians have bad luck with their ears. Chekhov? Trotsky? I don't know what happened to Trotsky's ear. Yeah, he's picking there. Ooh. Any others? Mostly just those two. Okay. Was Van Gogh Russian? <laughs> Probably. Nobody knows for sure. Man, that is a quite eventful month for Wong and Steve. Mm-hmm. So that song's called Murphy's Law. Mm-hmm. Okay, rate the following Murphy's, scale of 1 to 10. Oil soap. I need to know what the others are, right? No, no, just scale of 1 to 10 for this. On Of how, like well-known they are no just well, your feelings on this how right what <laughs> ranks up rate something on a scale of one to ten okay murphy's oil soap for cleaning hardwood floors that is that is what it is just as a product how do you rate murphy's oil soap scale of one to ten gosh this is gonna sound weird but i haven't used it since i was a kid <laughs> <laughs> but you remember it being pretty fun right it smelled nice it was pretty slippery okay. uh, i'm gonna give it a Comparing it to other soaps, uh, five. Okay. Murphy Brown. Ah, smart character there. Sure. Gosh, I don't know. I was, I was a kid when I watched those shows, and I didn't really get the humor. Mm-hmm. So on account of my ignorance, uh, I'm going to say six. Okay. Maybe it was better written. I'm not sure. Dropkick Murphys. Oh, I do like them a lot more than you do. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Those guys, they'll get an eight. Okay. Murphy's Law, the law, not that song you just mentioned. Oh, I do not like that. That is a mm. one. Okay. Bill Murphy. Who's Bill Murphy? Uh, he is the Halloween store Bill Murray costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds horrifying. Yeah. I, I've never seen it, but I'm going to give it a two. Okay. All right, that's all the Murphys I can think of. That's pretty good. Thanks. Well, that wasn't all that Wong was up to in June of 1982, though. The other thing that Wong was up to was trying to get a little bit more recognition for a hero of his. See, Wong's worked with a lot of heroes over the years. But in his mind, the greatest heroes of all are the Harlem Globetrotters. He just loves the Harlem Globetrotters, and they've brought so much joy to so many people that Wong thought he saw an opportunity to give something back to one of them. A hockey team had just moved to New Jersey. They were moving into the Meadowlands Sports Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and the people of New Jersey were going to vote on what that team should be named. 
one of the options was the New Jersey Meadowlarks. Oh. And Wong thought, yes, they should name a team after Meadowlark Lemon. They should name everything after Meadowlark Lemon. Meadowlark Lemon is fucking amazing. He was great in The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. He's great on the Harlem Globetrotters. He was great in the Harlem Globetrotters cartoons where they met Scooby-Doo. He was great on Gilligan's Island. Meadowlark Lemon deserves this. So Wong decided he was going to just go around and really advocate for the citizens of New Jersey choosing Meadowlark as the name for this hockey team, the New Jersey Meadowlarks. And so he enlisted some friends of his and decided we're going to really do like a full-on like publicity tour ad campaign. So he grabbed Daredevil and he grabbed Son of Satan and he was like, guys, I've got an idea. We're going to go and hit the streets. We're going to get on a tour bus and we'll hold some rallies. Here's going to be the thrust of the campaign. Vote for Meadowlark Lemon or go to hell. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they're like, you know what? I think that's a great idea and a sentiment that I approve of. Both Son of Satan and Daredevil. They're good-hearted people. So of course they love the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm -hmm. So they go along with this and they put on a big show. Daredevil does a bunch of flips. Son of Satan uses his trident to write Meadowlark in the sky. And they think things are going great. What they didn't realize is the crowds took the wrong message away from this show. And that is why on June 30th, the citizens of New Jersey voted that their hockey team would be named the New Jersey Devils. Oh. Yeah. What can you do? Forget about it. Very good, Jersey Devil. Thanks. <laughs> I totally forgot. Oh, throwback there. The, the, uh, the Jersey Devil. That's Halloween. Yeah, that was fun. Uh huh. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Forget about it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've created a monster, a Jersey Devil. Mm. We'll be back next week to talk about the 50th issue of the second volume of New Teen Titans, and the return of George Perez to the title. Yay! That'll be fun, hopefully. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks to find out how these defenders are gonna get Val out of a sword or something. Yep. We'll have a lot to talk about. If you would like to talk to us, you can do so by contacting us at... Tighten up the defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can also be reached electronically. The future truly is now. At ttwasteland.gmail.com. We're also up on the various socials media. I put some pictures up there of that pamphlet that had a bear with a flail in its mouth. That was pretty good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can learn about how to avoid the apocalypse, probably. Several helpful saving tips for apocalypses, probably. I didn't read the pamphlet that closely. There's but more than one? What? Apocalypse? I told you I haven't read the pamphlet that thoroughly. Probably. Oh. It's apocalypse, not apocalypse. That's confusing. It is confusing, especially because what brought that whole conversation about was me creating a different plural of apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the answer to all that and more grammatical questions, why not look around on the internet? It probably knows all about grammar and about how many apocalypses there are. Apocali? I don't know, man. I don't know either. If you want to learn how to make your apocalypse more apocalypse, then 
talk to the internet. <laughs> and while you're up, good advice. Thank you. And while you're up there, you can also look up, tighten up the defense, and you know we'll be on like I don't know, fucking Twitter and shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, vote for the band you like. Yeah, on Twitter, all, all kinds of things you can do there. The internet's a place of magic and whimsy. And if you can't find us there, there's another place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. We always have been. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Well, fall is upon us. Mm, it is indeed. And I, for one, am delighted to be in a season that is a verb. Yep. I will celebrate the season by making a spiced cake. Oh. What yeah. kind of spices are you going to put in that cake? Maybe like chai spices. Mm-hmm. Some allspice. Sure. Clove. I don't know if these things go in chai, but they sound maybe like they do. They do, although you're aware of my thoughts on allspice. Yeah, well, that's more so just it's uh, showboating. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Fucking who do you think he is? It's Odin? just a, it's a berry. Yeah. It's a spice. Yeah, it is literally a spice. Yeah. But mixed with other spices. Then it becomes some spice. Pretty good. So I'm going to make a some spice cake. Oh, that sounds good. And it's going to make your heart smell delicious. Mmm. I think their hearts are already delicious, Corey. Creepy. Yeah, kind of. I'm going to be learning less creepy ways to compliment your heart in your heart this week. I'm also going to be reading some more spooky comics. I've been doing that lately. It's been fun. Mm. I read one about the scarecrow. It was really weird. Yeah? Yeah. You know what they should call scarecrows? What? Scare everybody's, because it's not just crows that are afraid of them. They are legitimately creepy. Maybe not everybody, but they should at least be called scare hubs, too. Mm-hmm. Scare crows and hubs. Just rolls off the tongue. It's not particularly pithy. I'll be brainstorming new names for scarecrows in your hearts. Gonna be busy. I got a lot on my plate here. Mm-hmm. Fingers in a lot of pies. And one spiced cake. I'll put mm. my finger in it. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. If you would like to support the show monetarily, then why, why wouldn't, wouldn't you? <laughs> you can find us on patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comic books, including the one about the Scarecrow that I was just talking about. I made that just this past week. By the time this airs, it will have been a couple of weeks ago. But that is, uh, I believe, Marvel Spotlight number 26. And there's, I think, maybe literally hundreds of them up there right now. Maybe 800. I don't know. As we have discussed on the show, math, not really my strong suit. But I really do very much appreciate all the support that you guys have given us over the years. It really does mean a great deal to me, and uh, thank you for that. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, how can they do that? Can they? There are several methods. Elaborate. Well, first, wherever you get your podcasts, you can probably leave a review for the podcast. Mm. And that would be a nice thing to do. It would be. I don't know if you're still going to the brick-and-mortar podcast store the way that a lot of us are, but uh, I think there are some applications that you can use on your phone to listen to podcasts these days, too. Mm-hmm. I would need to look into that. But uh, I feel fairly confident that there is a way. 
But if you can't find those, then yeah, just, you know, go down to your mom and pop podcast store and uh, they probably have a ledger there that you can sign and just, you know, write in the margins of that. Ping! Never a soggy bottom. Never a soggy bottom in this podcast. Five stars. Mm-hmm. I want to mash it up with my big gorilla hand like Paul Hollywood. Good crumb. Yep. Not stodgy. Nope. Five stars. Yep, so that's an example. Mm-hmm. The other method is you could tell people about it. I could tell people about it? Anybody could tell people about it. What would they say? Hey, you look like you could use a laugh. Me? Yep. I guess I could. How would I get this laugh? Well, you should go listen to this podcast called Tighten Up the Defense. It'll... Tighten Up the Defense? Is that spelled T-I-G-H-T-E-N? Oh, no, the other way. Oh! Like the football team. Oh! Then I assume this podcast is about football. I'll go listen to it today. Awesome. It's just that easy. Yep. We're not about football. It would be weird if you got this far and didn't know that. Yep. You should pay better attention. If you want to. You know what? If you enjoyed it, if you were able to get good football listening out of this, more power to you. Sure. Here's a football thing. Dick Butkus. <laughs> That's true. Good one. Thanks. So until next week, Dick Butkus. See you. Goodbye. Bye. And they knew it. You said you were not going to be a monster. I didn't mean to. <laughs> that was the whiskey. <laughs> I started to talk and then that came out instead. I wouldn't want it to. <laughs> what, what? Because when she was humble and showed that she really cared and really needed that rose of purity <laughs> to get Jesus' sweet, sweet ass. <laughs> <laughs>